and that he would remember that and it would encourage him that it's not in vain. His labor is not in vain as long as he's trusting you and having faith to do so. God, we pray that you would create in us the same, that we would be steady and faithful, even when it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, even when it doesn't feel like you're at work, that we would trust and know that you are in the seemingly insignificant and in, in just gathering here today and singing true things about you and hearing what your word says again, that we would be faithful, that we would continue and not stop and trust you, even in the mundane, and that we would trust you with this next few minutes and that you would speak clearly and keep my mouth clear and keep me out of the way and what I say would be true and clear based on exposing this passage in Hebrews 11. We're thankful that you are at work. We love you. And uh, it's a privilege to be here in your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Hebrews 11. We're going to look at 8, 9, and 10 this morning. We are in our Faith Photographs series. And Ben has taken the first couple of Faith Photographs. And this morning we're going to look at Abraham, part 1. And I say part 1 is that we're only looking at 8, 9, and 10. We're only looking at the Faith of Abraham in his call to go. Okay? Then what happens is in Hebrews 11, then he mentions, he begins to mention Sarah and Abraham, and then he takes a little portion of, of chapter 11 to kind of talk about all of these faith heroes, and then he goes back to Abraham. And so we're not going to do the rest of chapter 11 and do all of Abraham in one day. We're just going to look at 8, 9, and 10, the call of Abraham this morning, and then Scott, Lord willing, next week will pick up and do Abraham part 2 with the rest of the chapter, okay? So, very straightforward verses here. Three very straightforward statements. And so I'm, I'm thankful that I get the straightforward verses here. Uh, not too complicated. Um, and I think they do that on purpose because they know I can't handle the complicated stuff. But I'm grateful anyway. Um, there are... There's a... Uh, if this is a faith photograph of Abraham, here's the frame for the photograph, Okay? The frame for this photo of Abraham's faith is this. You and I were not just called to faith in Jesus for salvation's sake. We were also called to engage his work. His work. What he's doing and advancing his kingdom. He's saying in this little photograph, I'm not just calling you to be mine which that's sweet, that's amazing, that's uh, scandalous. I'm not just calling you to be mine. I'm calling you to be a part of my work as well. Does that make sense? Do you see it? And so that's the frame for this photograph and these three statements that he makes about Abraham's call. I'm calling you to be mine, yes. You're going to be a part of my household, but I'm also calling you to be a part of my work. Okay? Pretty simple, right? All right, the writer of Hebrews points out three things in regards to Abraham's call and the display of faith in Abraham. And listen, this is also our call. The call of Abraham is our call, and we'll, we'll see how that fits on us in a minute. What did this call and this faith look like in Abraham on each of these statements? And then we're going to look at what did this call look like for us? What does this call look like for us? On each verse, each verse is one statement, very easy. Eight is one sentence, nine is another thought, ten, another one. And with each thought, there, is, there are two things. There is a promise, and then there's Abraham's response. Okay? So verse eight will have a promise, and Abraham's response. Verse nine will have a promise given, and Abraham's response. And then verse ten, a promise, and Abraham's response. So let's read... Hebrews 11, verse 8, 9, and 10. And also, let me warn you, we're going to go pretty quickly to some other passages, so don't get lost. This won't be long. I don't think we're going to be here all day, but I, I'm going to move pretty quick, so don't let me lose you, okay? We're going to go to Genesis 12 in a minute, and then Acts, and then a couple other places, but we're going to move pretty quickly. So, so hang in there, listen fast, if that's possible. 
Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Three short statements. We're going to look first at his call to go. Abraham's call to go. He is saying to Abraham, I don't just want you to know me, I want you to move. All right? You're about to gather up your stuff, and I've got some place for you to move. There's going to be a journey here, and you're going to go. All right? Got it? So we're not just sitting here enjoying Jesus. I've got something for you to do, Abraham. And it's going to cause you to go to two things. You're going to go to the unknown, and you're going to go to the nations. You're going to move into the unknown. I'm not giving you all the details. And I'm going to move you into the nations. And so this call to go for Abraham involves two things. The unknowns and the nations. Every nation. Every people. Okay? He didn't know. Abraham didn't know how this was going to turn out. And you'll see that in just a minute in Genesis 12. He didn't know short term or long term what was really going to happen. He just knew there was a promise, right? He was given a promise of, get this, an unearned inheritance. That's what it says right here. When he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He knew there was one promise. There's something I haven't earned that God's going to give. And so I don't have any other details except just to go. Get my stuff gathered up and get ready to move. There is a trust and a faith that he doesn't know the details. But he hears a promise that I'm going to receive something I haven't earned. And I don't know the details, but I'm just going to trust him and have faith and go and move. There is an agile obedience in him here. His faith is, has some agility to it. Do you see it? The word agile meaning to move quickly and easily. Just, just move quickly and easily. God said, I want you to go out to a place that you don't know where you're going. All right, let's go. And you'll see in Genesis 12, you just gather everything up and let's roll. An agile obedience, not knowing the details, not knowing the outcomes. There was nothing in his power and in his control that could tell him or assure him of anything except God said, I'm going to inherit something that I haven't earned. That's all he got. Okay? So turn to Genesis 12, and let's look at that briefly. Genesis chapter 12, just the first three verses of Genesis 12. He's calling Abraham to the unknown. He's not giving him the details. And he is calling Abraham to the nations. This call involves all peoples. So let's look here at the unknowns in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. This is the, the calling that the Hebrews writer is talking about in verse 8. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from, so we're leaving, right? Go from. Go from what? Your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So, you see it? You're, you're going to leave everything you've known. You're going to leave your country. You're going to leave kindred, which means friends and family. All of your comforts and conveniences, you're going to leave. And the only thing I'm telling you is I'll show you what to do next. Do you hear the faith in that? You, you need to trust me. There's faith here in that you're going to move from the known to the unknown. And the only thing I'm telling you is I'm going to give you an inheritance that you didn't earn. And so he goes. And he doesn't give a why or a how or a what or a well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Abraham doesn't do that. He, he goes and he sets out. Leaning forward. The, the posture here that 
that his faith looks like. This is what it would look like if I had, I got a new really nice lawn chair for Father's Day, and it's got a table that plops up, so I can put my Bible there, I can put my book I'm reading, I can put my iced tea there, I can, I can just sit, I mean, it fits me great, it's, I'm a tall guy, and so all those lawn chairs are all too small, this one is perfect, and man, I just lean back, and it's so nice just to sit back and just not go anywhere. <laughs> it is nice. But the posture of Abraham here is more like this stool, like this. You know, let's go. I don't know any details, but this is the posture, this agile obedience of getting ready to go. I'm, what can I push off of? What can I go from? Where, where are you, God, and what are you doing, and how can I get there? Do you see the difference in those two postures and the faith that's required to do like this when you don't know details? I'm going to go. I don't, I don't have everything figured out. I don't know what's coming. I don't know how this is going to turn out for me exactly. I just know I'm going to inherit something that I didn't earn, and so here we go. There is an agile obedience. There's a big faith here. Big faith. And so look at verse 2. He's moving from the, unknown, from the known to the unknown. And this is God's goal. This is his bottom line. This is his target. Verse 2 of Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So that. You know what we do with so that. So we pay attention. The henna clause. So that. Here's the real issue with me calling you and with me blessing you, Abraham. Here is the bottom line to me calling you and blessing you, Crosspoint. Here it is. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. What does he mean by that? Jesus would come from his lineage. So, I'm calling you to go. I'm going to bless you with children. You don't have any kids yet? <laughs> You're old? And I'm going to give you a son. And through this miracle, through this blessing, I am going to bless the whole world. My goal here in this, Abraham, is to bless every people. Everybody's going to know me. And we know from our Bibles, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. It's going to happen. This is his plan. All peoples will know because I bless you. That's his target. God's target this morning is Hunt County. And his target is also the other side of the planet. Every tribe, every tongue, knowing him, that is the call. That is the call for Abraham, and that is why he gets blessed, and that is why he uses Abraham, so that his name is known everywhere. You see it in Ezekiel, I will rescue you, I will clean you up, I will save you, but not for your namesake. I will do that for my namesake among all peoples. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all peoples. God's goal this morning is the world. His goal is all peoples. It's his target, and it's his desire to be known by every tribe and every tongue. So, you say, well, that's what he, that's what he called Abraham too, but that's not. What, what about for us? What about this side of the cross? Tell me exactly where that call is, because, you know, I'm, I've never been on a mission trip, maybe you say, or I've never, I've never been on a plane, some of you, maybe. I don't know what that looks like. Turn to Acts 1, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. And then keep your finger in Hebrews 11. We're going back there next. Acts chapter 1. Look here for the unknowns and for the call, Okay? The call to the unknown and the call to the nations in this passage. Jesus is just about to ascend back into heaven. Okay? He's about to leave. It's about to be over on earth, and he's going back to the Father. 
in Acts 1. And look at what they ask. This sounds so familiar to my heart. I, I hope this resonates with you. I mean, a lot of crazy stuff has just happened in front of the followers of Jesus. He died. He made some promises. It got real chaotic. And now he's back. And it says even some of them doubted. They were like, I still don't know what's going on here. What are you doing? What, what is this going to look like, Jesus? And this is what they say in 1.6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you, are you about to become president? Are you about to like crush everybody right here in front of us? That's their question. Are we about to be in your army? I mean, is this going to happen like right here in front of us? Are you about to restore Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know these times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't get the details. You've got to trust him. You're going to move into something with a lot of unknowns. And I'm not giving you every detail. You don't get to know when this is going to happen. You don't know, get to know when my kingdom is going to be fulfilled. You've got to have faith. Trust me. You will receive an inheritance that you did not earn. And he keeps reading. Keep going. Verse 8, or verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. In verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you see his target? I love what the New American Standard the word they use, he inserts the word both right after witnesses. And I think that handles the original language a little better. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's both and. Do you see it? You are called to be salty and bright and engage his kingdom work here. And you are called to think and see and engage and trust that his goal is all peoples and you will have opportunities to engage it among all nations, everywhere. If that's his goal, that's what I want to align my life with. That's our call. Do you see it? So you may be sitting there thinking, okay, so Mr. I go global man, everybody's supposed to be a missionary overseas. I mean, I... I don't want you sitting there feeling guilty for not putting your house on the market tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what this call looks like for us. But I want to I give you some views as a pastor to what this call looks like to have this call of moving into the unknowns with a view to all nations. It means that some will go. And I want us to consider a question in regards to this going to all nations. Here's what this looks like. We'll call this the thousand-foot view, okay? Stay with me here. The thousand-foot view. I have seen men in this church over the last 11 years move with agile obedience and go get up out of their chair and move as a shepherd in their family, not knowing how, how to do it, not knowing if anybody would listen, <laughs> Not knowing if their wife would follow. Not knowing if their kids would get any of it. And just faithfully get up and go into that shepherding role. I've seen you do that. I've seen you walk in some of this call in that you're getting up and going. And you're moving into something that you don't know how it's going to turn out. That requires faith. Do you see it? Thousand foot level. I've seen you cherish and hold fast to your wife. Not knowing how hard or how easy your marriage was going to be. I've seen you. I've seen this play out. You shepherd your children when it's inconvenient. I've seen you lean towards one another and go move towards one another in your going towards one another in transparency and accountability. And you move in these let us's that we've been talking about. And so here's a, there's a posture of going and moving. I'm not just going to sit here. I'm going to engage others. And I'm going to see where his kingdom is being advanced. And I'm going to be a part of it. I've seen you do that, thousand foot level. It takes an agile obedience to do that, to say, 
This is what God said. It got revealed back in the Dib series maybe a few years ago or Ephesians 5 last year or maybe it's just in small group and you realize God said, men, shepherd your families. Wives, follow your husband. Lead your family with your husband. And, and all of a sudden there became an intentionality and there was a call there and you said, let's go, let's do it. I don't know how yet. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but we'll do this. And I'm going to have faith to do what God told me to do. And so I've seen it. That's how it plays out maybe at that 1,000-foot level. And the 10,000 feet, let's just bump up to 10,000 feet level. Um, this is, looks like, okay, I'm shepherding and I'm trusting him that he's designing and building in my family and I'm trusting that he's going to produce fruit and I'm doing that. Now I'm going to look outside and where are the pockets of need in my church? Where is he at work in my church? Where are the pockets of need? Where's the vacuum? Maybe not the actual vacuum. Maybe we need somebody to vacuum. But where are the places where there's a need? And I will go with agility and obedience. I will move into that without having to be, get this, without having to be asked. It is, speaking as a church leader, it's much easier to coil up a rope than to push it. You know what I mean by that? That's a kind of a cowboy term, coil. You, you roll up a rope, roll up a garden hose. It's so much easier to pull that rope. It's so much easier to say, hey, whoa, whoa, not yet. We're not ready for your agility just yet. It's so much easier to, say, to, to pull in and say, whoa, man, you're being agile. You're being intentional. You are going. You are moving towards pockets of need. And it's so much easier to pull back in than to go, well, we still need somebody here, and we got to push a rope. It just feels like mobilizing people can feel like you're pushing a rope. And so that call for you and me at the 10,000-foot level is, where is he at work around me in my church? At the 30,000 feet, let's just jump up. Well, I, actually, let me go back to the 10,000 feet. I, I want to mention something that I've seen in you. This is what this has looked like in you in engaging uh, ministries like Rafa, uh, adoption, um, counseling, ministries that some of y'all are engaged in, and so many other social justice ministries where you've seen a need in the community and you move with agile obedience. You don't know how it's going to get paid for. You, you don't know if what's going to really look, the fruit's going to look like, but with agile obedience, you have moved and you've moved into those areas of need in the community. 30,000 feet. What does this call to all peoples look like? Well, it means that families like the Keelings, Thorntons, Hucks, and Simmons, it's called them to at some point end up geographically and culturally on the front line where there are no church or there is little church influence. There are unreached or least reached. There are people today who have never heard the name of Jesus. This call to go, this call to move out, ends up putting some families, they end up to the ends of the earth. You see it? And so that's what it looks like at the different views, different levels. They're not levels in, in, in order of importance, but levels in order of view. Giving your life to a new geography, a new culture, unknowns with his heart for the nations. Adopting his goal of all peoples. Take somebody to the other side of the world. But here's where the rub comes for us. I think we still think that that's a different call. But it's not. It's the same call. And here's why I think it feels like a different call. You think, well, I'm called to stay here. And they're called to go there. And I'm called to not really engage that. I'm just called to engage this. And we can get real narrow focused with what we're called to do. But it's the same call. And here's why. I think we have adopted this filter in thinking about our going and our movement and our engaging his kingdom work. And we have said, I'm going to stay until he calls me to go. That's kind of what we've adopted, especially in America. I'm going to stay right here until he writes it on the wall and tells me to go. 
instead of adopting a filter in our dreaming and thinking and praying, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to keep going, keep looking for pockets because his goal is all people's. Pockets of need. His goal, I'm going to keep going, keep moving, keep pushing out into the unknowns until he says, no, right there, whoa, that's where I want you. You see the difference? Because saying, you know, I'm going to stay right here because this is, I got this pretty figured out. This is, I mean, I see him doing some things and I, I can't do that. I can't go that far into the unknown. What that is, in essence, saying is, Lord, <clears throat> I will go this far and no further. But to say, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to keep pressing out and looking for where your kingdom is at work, calling all nations to your great name, and I'm going to do that until you tell me to stop, until you tell me, whoa, right there. This call of Abraham is our call, and when we adopt that thinking, I'm going to go until he tells me to stay. When we get this question right in our mind, one thing that will happen is our, our missionaries may be out of sight, but they won't be out of mind. Because when you're asking that question, I'm going to go until he calls me to stay, it will burn on your heart his desire for all peoples, and you will think, where are my people? My people are out there on the front lines. I want to engage that. I want to communicate. I want to visit I want to move into some unknowns here. I've never been on a plane. I don't know what it is for you, but that's one thing that I think will change is that we will not have to push a rope and mobilize, and you will become people who think God's target is the world. How are you aligning your life to that call? It's funny how this agile obedience works both ways. I didn't ask them if I could mention this, but I hope they don't mind. Derek and Casey are here. Why? Because God is saying, seemingly, not there, not right now. Do you see that? Does that mean that Derek and Casey go, well, I guess we're done. Let's go buy a ranch, South Texas, and just kick back. Can't do it anymore. Sorry. No. Their posture is, okay, if it's not there, not right now, where is it? And that's their question. We're going to keep going until you tell us to stay. You see that? You see the, the faith it takes to actually stay when you want to go? The faith it takes to hear him say, not there, right, not right now. The same faith that says, I'm going to go until you say that. That's the call of Abraham. I'm not giving you the details. My goal is all peoples. All right, Hebrews 11 again. Verse 9. Faith lives with shallow roots. Faith lives with shallow roots. In verse 9, By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in a tent with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. The promise here is... I am going to give you a land where you're not a traveler anymore. That's the promise. I'm going to give you a place to land. I'm going to give you a place that you'll feel at home. That's the promise. I'm going to give you a place where you feel at home and you don't feel so much like a traveler and a sojourner. That word sojourner means I don't have a people, I don't have a place, I don't have a spot to land. I live in a dirty, dirt-bottom, hot tent. And I move around. Shallow roots. Convenience was not considered in this call for him to move, living out of a tent. Comfort was not considered. We don't belong here, Cross Point. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be convenient. We don't belong here. This is not home for us. We are aliens to this world, not believing. And when you see the evil and you hear lying and cheating and you hear unfaithfulness, yeah, it's supposed to feel that bad. It's supposed to stink. There is a tension for us 
as sojourners here. This is not our home. It's hard for us to take this in because we're drunk on convenience. We are inebriated with comfort. We want so bad to fit in here. We want so bad to be a part of what we see. We want so bad for this to get easier. We want so bad for this just to get a little easier. And he's saying, I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you the details. Uh, it's going to be for my namesake among all peoples. And, and, and you are not going to feel at home here in this journey. That's how this walk and this journey of faith is going to feel. I just imagine Abraham flipping up the side of his dusty, hot tent and looking at people living in homes with a water well you know, close by with a, a table to sit at and relax at, to eat their food, with all of their animals and their children and their family close by, and him wondering, well, man, why don't we just stop? Why don't we just get, get some roots and just stop? Because, man, I don't know if this is going to be worth it. And he doesn't. He keeps going with shallow roots, living out of a hot, dusty living with camping equipment and keeps moving. Shallow roots. This is not supposed to be where we're comfortable. It should be difficult, uneasy, and to be salty and bright. This is not our home. And there should be a tension. Turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 9, quickly. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Here, Peter talking about this tension he is, he is writing to people who have been persecuted, Christians who have been persecuted, and boom, they are out. They are rolling to the nations. They are moving in all different directions in all different countries and cities. He tells us that in chapter 1. And so he is talking to a people who are, boom, scattering, taking their faith, engaging God's kingdom. They're going, they're moving out, and the church is multiplying, and it's going out everywhere. And this is what he says to them in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And here it is. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. It takes faith to be a sojourner. It takes faith to keep shallow roots here. This is the part of this sermon that's convicted me the most because I want so bad at times. To just fit in here. I want so bad to, for everything that I see, to feel right and look right like I want it to. And I want to chase problems away and difficult people away and hard conversations away. And I just want a place to rest. And I just want a place to physically see that everything's going to be okay. I don't like unknowns, I like myself. And it's convicting to embrace with faith this role that I don't belong here. I'm moving and I don't belong here. It takes faith to not get caught up in the worldly desires. You hear what he says. There is a war waging in your soul. And that war is, I want to be here. I want to fit in here. I want this to be good and easy and right. And it's not. And it's not supposed to be. And so you move as a sojourner in it. Not getting caught up, watching how you live, that takes faith. There's good news for the sojourner. This is the sweetest verse of the morning for me so far. Ephesians 2, 18. Turn to Ephesians 2. Here's good news. Listen to what Paul tells the Ephesians. This is wonderful. Relief. This is where we find our rest. 
This is where our table is. This is where our recliner is. To help you understand it better. It's in Ephesians 2.18. Here's your table. Here's your recliner. Here's your pillow. Here's your food right here. Ephesians 2.18. For through him we have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer, what? Strangers and aliens. You are no longer a sojourner in his house. But you are what? Citizens. No more camping equipment. You are citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation, no more dirt floor, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus and himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together. Remember, we read it earlier, verse 10. He is the designer and builder. And so we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By faith, sojourners, listen. By faith, lift your eyes and lift your heart. If you hate sojourning, I do too. But lift your eyes up and be encouraged. You know that there's a city and a home for us. You know that there's something real that we can't see, but we know it's there, and it takes faith to believe that he is moving his kingdom, even in our sojourning, even in our shallow roots, this war that wages in us, and that rest is right here. Ben's mentioned it before that I've said this, but it, it does, I think it needs mentioning again. I think this is the only hour of my week, or two hours, depending on who's preaching. I, I think this is the only time in my week where everything makes sense again. I come back to God and his people. I've been a sojourner all week. There's this tension. I've been at waging war in my soul, fighting the flesh, and I come back and I hear God speak again. I see God's people. I see what he's building in you. And it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forget. And that's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. And I remember that I'm a sojourner. I'm not supposed to be here. He is at work, and I have been called. And all, all of a sudden begins to make sense again. If this is not church where we belong, if we are sojourners, if we've been called, where are we putting down most of our roots? Where is your agility and your obedience? Where is my agility and my... This is the most haunting question of the morning for me. Where, where am I putting... Where am I investing my thoughts, my dreams, my prayers, my money? Where am I thinking of where to go with everything he's given me? Where is he moving? Where is he building his kingdom? And I want to be there until he tells me not there. <laughs> I want you to go there. I just want to keep going. God is building. He is weaving something together and he is designing it and he is orchestrating it and you can trust it and it takes faith to remember it. All right? And so that leads us to the third point in verse 10. Hebrews 11, verse 10. Here's the promise again. There's a promise and then there's a response. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The promise is, there is a new city for you that I am building, I am putting it together, I am orchestrating it, and where you will be at home. And this is our glimpse every week in here with the people of God. This is where you will be at home, at my table. But you won't feel at home anywhere else. But I, there's a new city, and his kingdom is coming, and he will come, and he will complete it. And so he, his posture is now continuing to look forward. There's an anticipation that there's going to be a city, no more tent, no more dirty floor, no more looking around going, why can't I get comfortable here? 
There will be a day where that's not a tension for you and I anymore. Isn't that sweet? No more tension and sojourning. No more weary traveler. We have a home. And it's in his household. And it's coming. And it takes faith to remember that and walk in that. And so there's an anticipation. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. We sang it earlier. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Finish and use us to finish your task. Don't let me be caught watching and waiting. Let me be involved in bringing your kingdom in. Where are you moving? And I want to be a part of it. And the second part of this promise is he promises to orchestrate it, design it, and do it. It's not up to you and me. He promises to design and orchestrate and do the work. He calls us to be obedient. And I want you to see one more passage, maybe two, uh, about where agile obedience intersects his designing and building. Okay? It's a great illustration in Acts chapter 8. Turn there. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And I want you to see where an agile obedience of Philip intersects with the designing and orchestrating and building of God. And what happens? Sweet story. Acts 8, verse 26. Listen for agile obedience, moving to the unknown, call to all peoples. You'll see it. A sojourner moving quickly and easily. And then watch him design and orchestrate something here. Watch this. All three points of Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 are right here in this story. Watch for them. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Boom. Get up and roll. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over there and join his chariot. So Philip did what? Oh man, I don't know, God. Gaza's scary. It's desert. Oh man, God, what if he feels threatened by me if I walk up to his chariot and he pops me? What, what if he thinks I'm condescending because I'm walking up asking what he's reading? What if, what if, what if? No. What does Philip do? So Philip ran. He ran. And I was talking about this with somebody. Like, Was he really being uh, agile and obedient or was the chariot moving and he had to run? I don't know which. But I think the chariot's sitting still and he's reading. And so he ran to the chariot to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Do you hear how will they know unless somebody preaches? How will someone preach unless somebody's sent? How will I know unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage that he was reading out of Scripture was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its share is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. There's a speaking going on here. Conversation, and he, beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see how agile obedience intersects his designing? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? <laughs> what are we waiting on? God has been at work before you showed up, Philip. He has been working on this eunuch. He's already been there before you showed up on the scene. And he is designing and orchestrating in this Ethiopian's heart. I just need somebody to come explain this to me. 
I just need somebody to answer this question. And then Philip, agile in his obedience, and the eunuch commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him right there. Boom, new life, new kingdom. Kingdom building right there. And God was at work and orchestrating and designing before he even had called and told Philip to move. He was already at work. You can trust him that he is at work even if it doesn't feel like it. But he will call us to the unknown. He will call us with a goal of all peoples. And he will call us. He will call us to move with shallow roots. It may even mean that we sell some stuff. Well, I hate to hear that. <laughs> I like my stuff. What about you? It may mean that we loosen some things, loosen some grip. But he will use us. He is at work. He will build it. He is designing it now, today. And you can trust it. And it takes faith to step out as a sojourner and look forward to a city, knowing that it's not here yet. And this is your glimpse of it each Sunday. There's, there's a foundation. I know it. And it's coming. And I can look forward to it. So the question for us is, because if Philip is not agile in his obedience, he misses this altogether. He misses it. And I wonder how many times I've missed because I'm not agile and I don't like unknowns. So, the question I'm asking myself anew this morning in my faith is, where are the chariots? Where is your chariot that you're supposed to be running towards? Have I even asked about that lately? Have I even asked my heart? Where, God, where, where do you want me to go speak? The name of Jesus and explain it. Where are you turning hearts? It might be here. Might be in another state. Might be overseas. Where are you turning hearts? Where do you want me to go? I'm going to go until you tell me not to. Where are you turning hearts? Where are you stirring? Where are you having people ask questions? Because I want to go. And I want to be a part of that. And I'm going to do it until you tell me to stay. Where are the chariots? They're, they're, where are they around us? Let's start there. Neighborhood. Apartment complex. Work. It will take the faith of a sojourner sometimes just to get to that cubicle. And this call to agile obedience in all nations and sojourning and anticipating and trusting him as it lands on you, I hope you can hear this verse anew. Just listen to this verse. You've heard it a million times probably if you grew up in church and especially if you're Southern Baptist, if you grew up Southern Baptist, you've heard it a million times. But as we've just looked at this call and these truths land on us on this call, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. In light of what we've heard this morning, listen to what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't, don't go by that. All authority. All authority has been given to me. And I'm telling you, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to do what I say. You teach them to be who I say you're to be. You teach them to be my people. You disciple them. Observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, sojourners, travelers, weary, moving into unknowns, a little bit scared, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. Until this is done, I will not leave you alone in it. I will help you. I will be with you. All authority has been given to me. Is that encouraging for the sojourner? He will be with us. We're going to take the supper now. and I want us to look at the account in Luke 22. I'll, I'll read it. You can turn there if you want. Luke chapter 22. You guys can come on up. We're about to distribute the elements. I just want to read this passage in light of the supper. Luke 22, 14. When the hour came, he reclined at a table. Now, for somebody who lives out of a tent, that's got to sound pretty sweet. Lean back at a table. 
and apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For, I tell you, or because, the reason I've looked forward to this is because I'm not going to eat it again until the kingdom is fulfilled. Until I am known by all nations, until this is over and my kingdom is fulfilled and the city is built, you, until you're finished and the bride comes together with the groom, until then I'm not going to eat it. So I wanted to do this with you now. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sojourner, don't forget. Faithful ones, moving into unknowns, a little bit scared, don't forget that we will have a home and there will be a true and real and ethereal supper one day with us and him. The city will be built. Foundation will be done. The pillars in and his church will eat again with him. And each week, this is our reminder that we don't belong here. And this is our reminder that he is at work and he is building. And this is a reminder that we are called to be a part of it. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we take this supper, that you would guard our hearts. That if you have convicted this morning and we are not walking in repentance, that we wouldn't take the supper. If we have a problem with a brother or a sister, that we would not take this supper. That if we are not believing and trusting and having faith in you, that we wouldn't touch this bread and this cup. But, God, if there is any of us here this morning who are weary and convicted, I pray that in the next few seconds, in a minute, that we would repent and lay our hearts before you and say, we want to be people who go to unknowns. We want a heart for all peoples. We want to move with shallow roots, and we need to look forward to you coming and building and trust that you are at work. And maybe that's our confession this morning. And I pray that we would eat this supper and be encouraged and reminded of who you are of what you've done and what you're still doing in your building and designing. We're grateful for this food and this meal that we take together now. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.